on. It's on 88.3 FM, WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor's 24-hour open-minded radio surprise pudding, licensed to the regents of the University of Michigan, operated by students at the University of Michigan, uniquely maintained as a healthy alternative and a positive influence on the mental health of the Ann Arbor community. You are here. Good evening. It's time for another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. I think Jim will be here shortly. I had some trouble with traffic. It's getting kind of cold out there. And we're expecting a blizzard sometime tomorrow through Wednesday. Just a quick comment on that. For you. Probably haven't had 12 inches of snow in Ann Arbor in quite some time. So get out there and shovel early and shovel often. It's a lot easier to clear a couple inches of snow than try and get out there and let it all fall and then deal with uh, feet. It's <laughs> remarkable how quickly snow gets heavy, and uh, this may be one of those systems that's going to have a lot of blowing snow. Don't uh, believe for one second that the roads are cleared, even if they look cleared, because ice can build up in these kinds of blizzard events. And when they say uh, travel advisory, uh, take it personally. If you don't need to go anywhere, don't. Stay off the roads. Let the professionals do the driving. Let the plows and the ice trucks with the salt uh, do their jobs. In any event, uh, besides uh, time for another edition of Gray Matters, obviously it's... Uh, time for Mubarak to go. Uh, the question is not if, it's a question of when. And what's interesting about the events in Egypt is how analogous they are, in my opinion, to the recent events in Tunisia, uh, as well as uh, the downfall of Ferdinand Marcos. 
Uh, the media is making a lot of uh, comparisons to Iran, but I don't think that's uh, uh, quite as analogous. Mubarak is certainly um, an autocrat, but I don't believe that the uh, Egyptian uh, security forces in any way, shape, or form compared to Savak uh, under uh, the Shah of Iran. And I don't see any probability whatsoever that Barack Obama is going to allow uh, Mubarak to come into our country uh, for any reason whatsoever. It's interesting that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Tunisian rising as uh, the 7th of February edition of The Nation magazine's got a brief interesting article about the events in Tunisia uh, regarding the um, coverage by the media and some of the similar issues that toppled uh, the so-called president, Zin al-Bidin Ben Ali, who has fled to Saudi Arabia. He was in power for 23 years, and I'm quoting here from a uh, article in the 7th edition, uh, 7th of February edition of The Nation magazine, recently on newsstands, by uh, Leila Lalami, who's the author of Secret Son, an associate professor at the University of California at Riverside. She notes that the uh, events in Tunisia, which uh, I think apply to uh, Egypt uh, perfectly, are uh, coincided with the fact, as she puts it, never mind the unemployment rate among college graduates was reportedly as high as 20 percent. Uh, never mind that uh, Ben Ali's uh, wife, Leela uh, Trelbelsi, a former hairdresser, had a stake in almost... Um, in almost all of the country's businesses. Never mind that there was a police officer for every 40 adults and that the Internet was censored. She notes that the uh, uprising in T Tunisia uh, began on December 17th of 2010 when a uh, college graduate, Mohamed Bouazizi, uh, who was eking out a living selling vegetables, set himself on fire, self-emulation, that... Uh, led to uh, protests and street protests that spread, um, interestingly, through the Internet. It will be uh, very ironic, uh, I interestingly, that uh, the events in Egypt are going to uh, mirror the events in Tunisia and Iran of 20, 2009. But let's remember that Aminabinejad is still in power. And I don't know that Mubarak is, is finished uh, completely. He's, it's, he's clearly not going to uh, remain as president past September. The question here is, how is the army and how is this unorganized opposition in Egypt going to negotiate a transition of power? Um, there's been, I think, better analysis uh frankly, on radio, uh, particularly the BBC, and even, uh, surprisingly, I thought today's edition of National Public Radio's All Things Considered, had some very interesting experts talking about the situation. Obviously, the general consensus regarding Egypt is that the key at this point is the power of the army. And as one expert put it, um, the recently uh, appointed vice president and the defense minister are interested in preserving the power of the state, 
not the cult of personality surrounding Mubarak. He is finished. The question is, when does he go? How does he go? And my sense about Egypt is I don't think that the events are quite as volatile as television images would suggest, obviously. There's some violence on the streets. There are um, protests that will obviously be continuing tomorrow and henceforth. But I don't think this is in any way analogous to Tiananmen Square in uh, 1989, where you're going to have wholesale massacres of protesters by the army on the orders of the uh, regime in power. Indeed, it's interesting that just today the spokesman for the army announced that there will be no shooting by uh, the army uh, vis-a-vis protesters. So the military is the key. Mubarak's plan to uh, hand over power to his son is obviously finished. And some sort of uh, transitional democracy... um, I think will occur. Hillary Clinton obviously made some uh, unfortunate comments early on in this crisis, but uh, her a comment that uh, what what is needed is a, and I'm paraphrasing here, is an orderly transition to democracy is right on the money. Um, getting back to the Nation article by Lalami, um, I think she makes a couple of very interesting points. And I want to uh, also uh, highlight uh, a talk that I saw in uh, the middle of December uh, here at the University of Michigan. Um, missed the first uh, 15 minutes of the uh, of the talk, but the uh, school for uh, uh, the Gerald R. F- uh, school of uh, Public Policy and the School of Middle Eastern Studies uh, sponsored a talk by uh, the Lebanese journalist um, Rami Khoury, uh, who is frequently interviewed on BBC and uh, NPR and uh, PBS. He, of course, is a journalist-slash-intellectual professor, uh, heads up a school in Beirut. He's an expert on Lebanon. And just a couple of weeks ago, both Jim and I were highlighting the Amazing events that had occurred uh, the previous week in Tunisia, in Lebanon, in in the Sudan, where the Sudan basically has uh, voted for secession and a separation of their country uh, into two states. Um, It's amazing that there's been more violence in uh, Tunisia and Egypt compared to Sudan, given all of the violence that's been occurring in Sudan over the past uh, 20 years with the civil war in which an estimated two million people have happened. And I don't see a civil war erupting in in Egypt either. Egypt is obviously historically uh, a very interesting, both uh, as it goes back to the antiquities, the uh, the growth of the Roman Empire, you know, Julius Caesar. It was obviously critical in the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, I recall that uh, Lord Nelson had a a uh, big victory uh, in Egypt over Napoleon's army. I think that was 1801, but it was that 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 era that pre- that preceded the uh, eventual demise of Napoleon uh, some years later. And Egypt, of course, played a, a, a key role in World War II. Uh, Egypt is 
You know, it's part of the cradle of civilization, Western civilization. It's the gateway, you know, between the uh, the, uh, the the Suez Canal, obviously built by the uh, sort of a joint engineering project by the British and the French, has been key to uh, global trade uh, connecting um, South Asia with the Mediterranean Sea. And of, indeed, the Suez Canal is a crucial uh, asset of Egypt. And is one of the reasons why I think the Obama administration has gone uh, fairly cautious thus far, and I think appropriately so. It's it's wise for the uh, American government at this point to step aside. Uh, Joe Gibbs, who's uh, retiring as spokesman, made some comment that the that the events in Egypt are up to the people of Egypt, not the United States. That is the appropriate position. There are some on the left that are calling for Obama to take a stronger stand against Mubarak. And, of course, some on the right that are uh, denouncing Obama for not defending Mubarak uh, sufficiently. Uh, we saw this uh, situation in the mid-'70s with the, the toppling of the Shah in uh, Iran, but I think that the analogy between Iran and Egypt are very different. Egypt has obviously been critical to a United States uh, general policy in the, in the Middle East, uh, dating back to the so-called Carter Doctrine. Mubarak obviously assumed power on the assassination of Sadat in 1981, and indeed Mubarak was actually uh, standing next to Sadat when he was assassinated by the Muslim Brotherhood. We've heard a lot about them, and we've heard, uh, heard some kind of strange uh, fear-mongering about a radicalization of Egypt uh, under the Muslim Brotherhood, but I think those, uh, that interpretation is incorrect. The Muslim Brotherhood is a a long political organization in Egypt. Um, I, th I think I heard one expert say that it dates back to 1928, and that over the years the Muslim Brotherhood has adapted uh, to events on the ground uh, rather than form some sort of ideological um, position. It's clear that there is no sole or single leader of an opposition. Indeed, al just came back uh, to Egypt recently and may emerge as a, a unified um, representative of the opposition. But that, I think, still remains to be seen. And I think that it is uh, crucial for the United States to uh, stay back, like they did in the Iranian situation in 2029, 20, uh, and uh, let events unfold as they will. Uh, in uh, in uh, Leila Lalami's article... Um, she notes, the only official statement regarding the events in Tunisia came from Barack Obama after Ben Ali had been ousted. Perhaps the Obama administration remained quiet because it had learned from its experience with Iran that it's best to let internal matters play out. The reverberations, continuing with the article from The Nation, of the Tunisian Revolution were felt almost immediately. Gaddafi scolded Tunisians that they should have had the patience to wait for Ben Ali to step down in 2014 and warned about civil chaos. Of course, this was a warning to the Libyan people. In Mauritania and Egypt, yes, two other, quote, moderate Arab countries, copycat self-emulations, um, uh, uh, are creating deepening worry. And in Jordan, the government has hurriedly put together a plan to lower the price of fuel and basic commodities. So in that last um, sentence, 
powerful uh, in terms of the fact that it incorporates Mauritania, Egypt, and Jordan, we get an idea of what's really uh, at play here. It's the economic problems. They are the key. And even an opposition uh, organization that takes power at some point is going to have to deal with uh, the issue of the economic problems of this uh, country. I was checking my World Almanac, and it was interesting that in 1999, uh, 1994, the estimated population of Egypt was 60 million. Sixteen years later, it's 80 million. Uh, this is a staggering increase. And then Rami Khoury's uh, talk here at the University of Michigan back in December, he talked about the disaffected uh, youth of, of the Muslim countries, the Muslim world, that this was a uh, problem that went, as he put it, from Algeria all the way to um, uh, Indonesia. But specifically in the Middle East, where, of course, the oil is, and, of course, America's interests with respect to Egypt is not so much focused on oil. Certainly, if uh, revolution or evolution, whatever we're going to call this event in Egypt uh, as, uh, as the events unfold, would have a uh, huge effect if Saudi Arabia were somehow um, the next domino to fall. In fact, maybe the domino theory... Uh, as, a, as it was applied by the American national security state in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, maybe uh, was, a, was a theory that uh, was propounded by Dwight Eisenhower uh, 50 years too early. <laughs> maybe the actual domino theory will now apply in the Middle East. Time will tell. But obviously Egypt has been crucial to the American peace process, and getting back very briefly to the Carter Doctrine, because I think that's what real politics all about here. What we're talking about here is the Carter Doctrine in which the United States is allied with Israel, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. Egypt, of course, under Sadat, uh, who took over after uh, Nasser's uh, sort of premature demise. Um, Sadat decided after the Yom Kippur War in 1973 that he basically was going to switch sides in the uh, Cold War. He went from, uh, Egypt went from being a Soviet, nominal Soviet client state and leader of uh, pan-Arabism, so to speak, under Nasser, uh, dating back to the 1950s, to uh, a p more pro-Western perspective. Part of this was cultural uh, Sadat was uh, lured by the West's uh, wealth and its culture uh, and uh, switched sides fundamentally over time, uh, culminating, of course, in the Camp David Accords. And it's interesting that the economic and military aid that Egypt receives is a part of the Camp David Accords. It's, it's uh, contractually obligated as part of the Camp David Accords, but it once again misfocuses uh, American power, in my opinion, in that it gives f four times the amount of military aid, and I'm roughly talking here, four times the, the military aid as economic aid. And uh, the uh, perspective needs to be changed. There needs to be less military aid and more economic aid if we're going to continue with the uh, f uh, funding arrangement of Egypt, which, of course, is... Uh, 
one of the largest recipients of, uh, of uh, foreign aid. Um, it usually is listed as the second uh, highest recipient. I think there have been some occasions in which uh, Pakistan has actually supplanted Egypt in that area. But Israel is number one in terms of uh, the recipient of military aid. And America may need to uh, fine-tune its uh, foreign policy in the future uh, in that regard. It's interesting uh, in uh, criticizing the, the mainstream media where Lalami notes, she says when the mainstream, uh, she points out that the, the uh, media paid no attention to what was going on in Tunisia, ostensibly because uh, America had uh, very little uh, interest, so to speak, in the events of Tunisia. She says what's striking about the Tunisian revolution is how little attention it received in the mainstream American press. Now, part of this may be connected to the fact that over the holidays, uh, you know, let's face it, Congress is out of session, the president goes on vacation, and everybody uh, in the media takes a little bit of a, 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 a respite uh, from uh, the working world uh, to some extent. Um, there's nothing sinister about this. This is just, the, these are just the facts of life, uh, even People in the media are, are human and uh, wish to spend time uh, with their families. School is out. Uh, children are at home, et cetera, et cetera. And it's understandable that the American media would perhaps be a little bit asleep at the switch over the holidays. But she notes that the Washington Post only mentioned the protests for the first time on January 5th, two and a half weeks into the unrest when it ran a wire report about the burial of uh, Bouazizi. Time ran its first piece about the protests later yet on uh, January 12th. Even those like Thomas Friedman specializing in uh, diagnosing the ills of the Arab street did not show much, much interest. When the mainstream press finally did pay attention, it was often to explain the success of the Tunisian revolution in terms of technology. Um, Tunisian protests fueled by social media networks, read one typical headline from CNN. Was it Twitter, which allowed activists to communicate swiftly and widely with one another? Was it YouTube, where videos of protesters and police uh, abuse were posted? Or was it WikiLeaks, whose cables revealed that Ben Ali and his entourage were mind-bogglingly corrupt? But Twitter seemed to be the most helpful in keeping us on the outside of the country informed, since few in the Western media were reporting the story. YouTube was censored in the country, and WikiLeaks didn't reveal anything that the Tunisian people did not already know. Well, yes, indeed. And, of course, this corruption uh, that the uh, that Lalami talks about here uh, in Tunisia is perfectly analogous to uh, Mubarak. It's unclear how much... Uh, money uh, Mubarak has salted away in secret Swiss bank accounts. Uh, perhaps WikiLeaks and Julian Assange can uh, give us some information on that issue, since they seem to have their uh, fingers in many pots on many stoves in many arenas. And uh, the corruption of American-backed quote-unquote dictators is a long legacy of the Cold War. Uh, Marcos, I mentioned, and the events in the Philippines come to mind. Uh, it, it took Ronald Reagan um, quite some time to realize that Marcos was finished. And indeed, I recall a, it was Richard Luger 
still in the Senate, by the way, and uh, interestingly, a potential target of the Tea Party movement here in the United States, Luger, a former Rhodes Scholar, a former chairman, a former chairman of the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, a sort of bastion of uh, Eisenhower-style conservatism, had to go to Ronald Reagan, undoubtedly in his pajamas, and tell him that Marcos was finished. Marcos, of course, had assassinated and was behind an assassination of Benigno Aquino that led to the so-called uh, yellow dress revolution of his uh, wife, Corazon Aquino, and Marcos had to flee to the United States. Um, a... Uh, unfortunate uh, invitation that Ronald Reagan extended to Marcos. Mark my words, Mubarak will not be coming to the United States because as uh, Lalani notes in her article about Tunisia, um, she writes, while Tunisia, the poster child of a moderate Arab country, was in revolt against tyranny, the French foreign minister, Michel Eliot Marie, suggested to the Assemblée Nationale that as part of the cooperation between the two countries, French troops could be sent in to stamp out the protests. The Minister of Culture, Frédéric Mitterrand, said that calling Tunisia a dictatorship was an exaggeration. Yet after Ben Ali was ousted, President Nicolas Sarkozy reportedly refused him entry into France. Hence he ended up in Saudi Arabia, which may uh, indeed be the ultimate destination of uh, Mubarak, uh, along with his family. And I would, uh, if I were giving Mubarak advice, I would tell him, look, you're finished. Your plan to extend power to your son is over with. Uh, it's time for you to uh, smell the flowers and uh, depart. And uh, allow the, the obvious continuing economic problems of the Middle East with the quote-unquote angry unemployed youth, which of course Al-Qaeda has taken advantage of. I find it fascinating that there's been utter silence thus far from Ayman al-Zawari, uh, bin Laden's right-hand man. Uh, you will recall that he was uh, actually imprisoned as part of the plot to assassinate Sadat. He used to be a member of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in Egypt. He is Egyptian. And uh, if anybody were going to take advantage of the apparent demise of Mubarak, you would think it would be Ayman al-Zawari. Who knows? Another irony that I'm going to comment on very briefly is the fact that while the events in Egypt were unfolding on Friday morning, I happened to be watching a uh, documentary uh, on uh, the Sundance Channel called The U.S. versus John Lennon. And I walked into this movie. It was a, a long movie, but I thought brilliantly done that showed the uh, secret war so to speak, when John Lennon made it onto the enemies list of Richard Nixon and the role that John Lennon played in the anti-war movement, including the events that occurred here in Ann Arbor at Chrysler Arena regarding the freeing of John Sinclair. As the documentary suggested, it was after John Sinclair was freed by the Michigan Supreme Court in a ruling that they reversed. John Sinclair, of course, a 
a former band manager of the uh, MC5 and a famous uh, Southeast Michigan uh, public figure who I believe at this time is actually living in Amsterdam. I've actually met John a couple of times, and he does return to Ann Arbor occasionally for poetry readings, uh, was was freed by the Michigan Supreme Court following the concert at Chrysler Arena in which John Lennon uh, wrote a song to freeing John Sinclair. And that it was this freeing of John Sinclair that uh, really instigated uh, action immediately by the Nixon administration. He was all, John Lennon was already being spied on by the FBI because of his uh, asso- associations with the Black Panther uh, leader Bobby Seale, and some of the yippies like uh, Abby Hoffman and um, Jerry Rubin. But this accelerated after the, the power of John Lennon's message, give peace a chance, uh, and the, the John Freeze John Sinclair rally showed that John Sinclair, uh, that John Lennon, excuse me, had incredible political power here in the United States. Uh, the Nixon administration, of course, in their ultimate paranoia, uh, cooperating with J. Edgar Hoover, uh, then uh, began an extensive uh, sabotage operation against John Lennon. Uh, this included wiretaps, spying, following John Lennon and Yoko Ono, etc. And ultimately, uh, he uh, instigated immigration proceedings against John Lennon. But what was interesting about the Vietnam uh, protest uh, movement, let's remember that protests here in the United States, uh, both in the civil rights and with respect to Vietnam, were, were uh, you know, mixed uh, operations. The civil rights protests went on for decades before uh, the, voting right, the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The Vietnam War was never ended by protests here in the United States, despite massive protests out in the streets. And uh, we need to remember that in Egypt, th- these protests may not uh, end in the uh, result that the people on the streets think it will. Now, I happen to think that it's clear that uh, Mubarak is finished. It's just a question of when and how. Uh, is he going to go peacefully? Is he going to negotiate a settlement with uh, the uh, newly appointed vice president, Suleiman? And uh, um, is, you know, um, the defense minister, whose name escapes me, um, are they going to escort uh, Mubarak out of the country? Time will tell. Well, just to let you know, it's almost 7 o'clock p.m. here at the studios of WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The show has been Gray Matters. I wanted to make a quick comment about the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, This normally would have been a week, by the way, in which we talked about the State of the Union and perhaps the financial report into the uh, financial crisis that was ironically issued on Friday. But the events in Egypt obviously sort of superseded the relevancy of the financial crisis inquiry report, as it's being called. And we can certainly uh, talk about that in upcoming weeks, uh, since there's uh, nothing remarkably revealing about it, except the fact that it was not a a bipartisan report. There were two separate reports issued with, of course, the Democrats and the Republicans finding different uh, people to blame. 
Um, and of course, uh, to some extent, uh, the Republicans' position that this was based on government policy uh, with respect to low-income people receiving housing is just not plausible. This this is a combination of uh, the failures of deregulation, the greed on Wall Street, the desire to make quick money, the inability of these non-bank institutions to in- inject themselves into the housing uh, situation, people being able to get mortgages without putting money down on houses, and of course the media promoting this get quick, uh, get rich quick uh, uh, thing that they do all the time here in the United States of America. Basically, the fundamentals got out of control. And uh, 